Well, good evening, Redemption Tempe. All right. How are you guys? Good. My name is Will Vakurvich. I am uh, Mission Collectives and Communities Director here at Redemption Tempe. It's a pleasure to be here with you this evening uh, as we look at God's Word. If you guys have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 13. If not, then go ahead and raise your hand and one of the ushers will, will be by to uh, give you a Bible. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, this is our gift to you. Um, feel free to take it home. Um, we believe everyone should have a copy of the Bible. And if you do, then there's racks in the back. You can drop it off on your way out. Again, we'll be in the book of John chapter 13. And I believe that's if on our Bible page 585. So for those of you guys that were here last week, Ricardo laid the foundation for the series that we'll be walking through. Uh, it's called Bless. You guys can see it up there on the screen. And we're in the second week where we're going to be looking at service. And the whole idea is that uh, what God told Abraham back in Genesis t- chapter 12 is that God would bless him and his family so that he could bless all nations. So that he could bless all people. And so last week, Ricardo talked about how generosity is really a a blessing that God uses for us to bless others, to to bless the church, to bless the congregation, these types of things. And so this week, we're going to talk about service and we're going to do so through the lens of John chapter 13, which for some people who have been around church or maybe grown up in church may be a familiar story where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. For others, it may be the first time you're hearing this. And I remember the first time I heard this story, I was in high school in youth group and my youth pastor thought it would be really cool. We'll talk about Jesus washing the disciples feet. And then he like pulled out an actual like bucket of water and had people take off their shoes and people were like washing each other's feet. And I thought this is disgusting and weird. And I really didn't want to do it. And a lady who was on staff, like took me by the hand and, 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 pulled me up to where the bucket was. And she's like, I'm going to bless you. And I'm like, this is not a blessing. This is creepy. I don't like feet and I don't want people to touch my feet. So if you're like me and you don't like people looking or touching your feet, we're not going to do that tonight. Okay. So you can sigh of relief. It's okay. Relieve some anxiety. It's all right. We're just going to talk about it. All right. Before we do that, will you guys pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the the stories that you tell us to shape who we are and how we live. Thank you for your son who you sent in humility to put on flesh and and live a life of example for us. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us, that motivates us, that compels us, that brings conviction and encouragement. And we pray that that would happen now, God, that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word, that you would empower your people to go out and serve our community. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to love each other more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So let me set the scene for you guys. We're looking at uh, the Last Supper of Jesus. So this is right before Good Friday happens and a couple days before the Easter resurrection story happens. And we have the privilege of being able to read this story through those lenses. The disciples, however, who are central to this story, didn't have that privilege. So from their perspective, they've been walking with Jesus for about three years. They've been following him around from town to town. This Jesus who started in a backwater, out-of-the-way city called Nazareth has now really risen to prominence. Earlier in this last week of Jesus' life, we saw the triumphant entry where Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish 
culture. And, and people are crowding the streets. The masses are there and they're shouting and they're, and they're chanting and they're excited. And there's like palm branches and they're throwing their jackets on the ground and other things that don't really make that much sense in our context. But for us, Jesus is trending right? Jesus is like the buzzword. This is the current event news article that's filling up your news feed. I'm sure you guys can think of a few. Everywhere the people go, the talk is of Jesus and his disciples are loving every single minute of it. They're like by implication famous, right? Like we all have that weird connection of like my cousins, brothers, sisters, old roommate knows somebody who's kind of famous right? They were like in the thick of it. These are Jesus's disciples and everyone is excited to see Jesus, to hear about Jesus. There's been rumblings. This may be the Messiah. This may be the one that we've been waiting for. This may be that political figure who would bring restoration to our nation, who would right the things that are wrong, who would kick out the Romans and whichever other scapegoat they saw. There's excitement here. The disciples have followed Jesus all week long as he goes into the temple, the center of Jewish religion. They've seen the teachers of the law, the religious elite, challenge Jesus and confront him and try to trap him with questions. And Jesus answers superbly. He obliterates every question they ask. He makes them look silly. And the disciples love it. They've been waiting for this moment, right? They're like lowly fishermen and, you know, blue-collar workers, average Joes who have been overlooked by society, and now here is their chance in the spotlight, and they're excited. This is a time that's rich with possibility, with potential. There's a new leader in town. What will life under this new Jesus look like? What will his leadership style be? And at the height of all of this is the Passover feast. This is what we'll be seeing on Maundy Thursday. It's a Seder dinner. This is where our story picks up. The disciples are in the upper room with Jesus. They're, they're, they're excited. They know that he's moving into power. And Luke helps us frame this story in the book of Luke in chapter 22 with, with a, a, another story that's explaining what's going on in the midst of this. Luke says this, a dispute arose also among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So I like to imagine the scene like this, right? We have the triumphant entry. We have Jesus is trending. The disciples are excited. They're in this upper room, and they start a conversation. So when Jesus comes into power... Who's going to be the vice president? Who's going to be the secretary of state? Who's going to have the seat at the right and the left hand of his throne? And this conversation turns into a heated discussion and turns into an argument. And in the midst of it, Jesus quietly stands up. They probably didn't notice his movement at first. And he goes to the corner. He takes off his outer garments and he picks up a large bowl filled with water. 
wraps a towel around his waist, and he turns towards the disciples. And I imagine at this point, somebody notices the movement out of the corner of their eye, and they say, guys, what is Jesus doing? As he starts to walk towards them, I I can almost visualize like the light bulb coming. And a gasp. Not this, Jesus. Not this. Don't do that. Because we have to understand from our perspective, we have a lot of barriers to understanding the context, right? We have been blessed in our society with a few things. We've been blessed with the invention of socks and the invention of shoes that help to place barriers between feet and noses. Back in the day, they had sandals. We've been blessed with paved roads, right? Where in their context, the roads were made of dirt, and so they were dusty. We've been blessed with bicycles and buses and cars and things other than animals for transportation. Now, we may have, you know, carbon monoxide and emissions and and all of that kind of stuff, but we don't have the same um, things that animals leave behind in places where we walk. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. So as the disciples, disciples are walking around in their sandals in a warm climate, there's either the option of walking in dust, creating muddy, stinky feet, or other. Hopefully they chose the dust. We also have the blessing of high tables, putting further distance between our feet and our noses. They did not have this blessing. They had low tables. It says they reclined at the table where they would literally lay down on the ground, prop themselves up with an elbow, and eat. You can imagine the noses were very close to feet. And if you've been around sweaty men's feet, you know that this creates an issue. This is not a pleasant scene. But Jesus understands what's going on. He hears the disciples bickering, and he takes action. The disciples must have had a strong response because not only was this gross, this was something reserved for a servant. Anyone aspiring to any position of authority would not dare dream of washing someone's feet. This was something reserved not only for a servant, but a Jewish person would not have a a fellow Jew wash his guest's feet. It's too lowly. This was something that the Jews would reserve for a Gentile servant, whom in that time they felt were lower than them. And here's Jesus in the midst of an argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom, picking up the bowl, wrapping the towel around his waist, and washing his disciples' feet. It's almost too much to imagine, right? We're in the middle of an election year. Could you, could you imagine, at the next debate, the camera spans from one candidate to the next, to the next, to an empty podium. A commentator saying, well, where, where is so-and-so? I'm not going to, like, even pretend a candidate's name because I've gotten in trouble for this stuff. Where is candidate A? They're missing an opportunity, right? There's, there's FaceTime here. There's name recognition. There's all of these things. If they want this position, they need to prove how regal and intelligent and amazing they are. Imagine they're not there for the debate because they're in the back, cleaning up the bathroom, 
I don't know about you guys, I can't really see any of the candidates on either side doing something like this. This is such a foreign concept to us. But this is what Jesus does. This is one of the ways in which Jesus demonstrates his love and he sets an example for us. Paul in Philippians explains it like this in in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Jesus, being in very form God, being the essence of God, took on the very form or the very nature of a servant. God, the creator of everything you have ever seen or ever will see. God, the Lord of all, who owns everything, humbled himself, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. Not as a king or an impressive ruler, but it says he took on the very nature of a servant. And if that weren't enough, then Jesus takes it a step further. In John chapter 13, he says this, starting in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If we call Jesus our master, and he being in the very nature God, took on this form of a servant, and washed his disciples' feet, then church, there are strong implications for us. He says a servant is not above his master. If we're calling him master, if that's how we identify our relationship with Jesus, as we're elevating him and he has lowered himself to a servant's role, but not just a servant's role, a Gentile servant's role, there are strong implications for how we should be living this truth out. I I think in a context like ours, in a nice room with air conditioning and, you know, decent coffee and water out front for you and and all of these luxuries that we have, it's easy to think like, hmm, yeah, service. That's a good thing, right? Most of us would agree service is a good thing. We should generally be like nice to people and, and, and that kind of stuff. I think the thought, the intellectual assent to service, it comes fairly easy to us right? We watch like the moving videos on Facebook and oh, right? Like we all have that emotional response and and we agree. But again, Jesus pushes us a step further. He continues by saying, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't allow us to just think that service is nice. He says, Blessed are you if you do them. 
in, in preparation for this or, or for any sermon, we're always looking for like, okay, what's the cool angle, right? Like, what's the hidden meaning that we can reveal to people? So here's what the word blessed means. Uh, it means blessed. There's no hidden meanings in this passage, right? Like, Jesus washes their feet. And he says, if you're looking for blessing, wash people's feet. This is the example I've set for you. A servant is not above his master. These are challenging words. These are really challenging words. I've, I've been here in this full-time role for about two months now, and I've had the pleasure of, of meeting with some people and, and drinking coffee and hearing about their lives, even some of you guys here. And um, one of the things that consistently comes up is people desire to feel closer to God. Right? Like, what is God's will for my life? I, I want to feel connected to God, and sometimes I don't, and, and I don't know what to do. And I think Jesus makes it pretty plain here. He says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to call me master— then you're taking on a life of service for others. And not necessarily in like glorious, luxurious ways that we may want, right? There's a a wise man once said, everyone says they want to serve until they're treated like a servant, right? I think we agree like, yeah, we should probably, okay, I, I think it's true and I should probably be doing something. But then when we're confronted with the reality of being treated like a servant, this is tough, This is tough stuff, right? We are the product of a society that loves comfort. We're constantly told why we should feel comfortable and what product will get us there and what product will make us feel more important. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you got to get a giant bowl of water and a towel and find some smelly feet to wash. And that's not overly appealing. So what do we do with this? I got three things for us to consider as we think through this story. Number one, what room are you in? What room are you in? Jesus was in a particular context, right? He was in uh, the city of Jerusalem. It was during Passover. There were tons of people there. There were lots and lots and lots of dirty feet. But he was in one particular room. And that's where he served in this one particular instance. So I know for me, there have been times in my life where I feel like, okay, if I'm really going to serve God, I'm going to need to go to like China or like a jungle somewhere or some like really dangerous Middle Eastern country, right? Almost like a secret agent sort of deal. And while overseas missions are very, very important and we don't want to minimize that, I think there's also the reality of context matters. Sometimes... I struggle to communicate the gospel in my first language, in a culture that I'm somewhat familiar with. God has put us all in particular places and times and vocations and neighborhoods and in particular families with certain communities of friends. So start serving where you are. Like, let's have eyes to see what room are we in. The second thing, who's there? Who's in the room with us? So what I mean by this is, is Jesus had his disciples there. And he had John, who was also known as the disciple that Jesus loved, his BFF. We have people in our life that are like really easy to serve, and we would prefer to serve them than other people. 
I know like when I was in high school going to youth group and Jesus was really exciting and cool, I loved hanging out with my friends and calling that service, right? Well, I, I bought my friend a Big Mac, so that's like service. And there may be some truth and value to that, but then for me, I kind of swung to the opposite end of the spectrum. And keep in mind, in the room where Jesus was washing feet was also Judas, who once Jesus washed his feet, would use those same feet to walk to the Pharisees and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which would lead to his arrest, his trial, and his execution. And I think sometimes that's appealing. For some of us, we've gone through these phases where it's like, if you're staying in North America, you're not really serving Jesus. Unless you're like on the streets, hanging out with like schizophrenic, homeless, meth addicts, like as, as wild as we can imagine. The reality is Jesus came for all people. Jesus came for the scary situations and the safe ones. Jesus came for the popular people that are really, really easy to serve. And Jesus came for the unpopular people that we may not want to be seen with. Jesus came for people who think like us and who don't think like us, who look like us and don't look like us, vote like us, don't vote like us. He came for all people. That's what Ricardo said last week. Abraham, his family was blessed so that God could bless all people. So in our context, in the rooms in which God has placed us, there will probably be people that you're like really eager to serve. If you're a single guy, it will probably be a single young lady that you're really eager to serve and you would just love an opportunity to wash her feet. But God might be calling you to wash Judas's feet as well. God might be calling you to wash the feet of somebody that you don't really like being around. Maybe the person who's hurt you, who's betrayed you, who's violated your confidence and trust. Nonetheless, this is the example that Jesus has set for us. And he reminds us, a servant is not above his master. So what room are you in? Who's there? Number three, what stinks? I kind of like debated back and forth with this whole what stinks thing, because it could be, you know, kind of like elementary or whatever. But I, I think so often as we talk about the brokenness in the world, we hear stories. We live through things. And we don't really have good answers other than like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like that really stinks. So I think as we move into this, we have to keep in mind, like it's probably going to stink. It's probably going to be messy and uncomfortable. And you're going to see like the dirt under somebody's toenails. But thank God that that didn't scare Jesus away from us. What room are you in? Who's there? What stinks? So with messages like this, I want to try to avoid some of the extremes, right? So like one thing that you'll commonly hear is like, guys, people are dying and they're going to burn in hell if you don't do something. Like you have to do something right now. Otherwise, everyone in the whole earth is going to go to hell. Like that's just not true. God cares about his people more than we do. God's spirit has been faithful and has moved in his church through his people out into communities from generation to generation to generation. We get to partner with what God is doing. And I don't want to paint the picture of like, oh, there's no one in our church who's helping. No, there are very, very faithful people that show up week in and week out and serve here. 
Things would not happen the way they do if it weren't for like, you know, the, the 20 or so people or families that serve here faithfully. God is moving and there are people who are doing a phenomenal job. The good news is what Jesus says in, in verse 17. He says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It is a privilege. Jesus says it is a blessing to serve. I don't want to paint this, you know, with, with the, the brush of like, oh, there's, there's great need. There is great need. You guys know that. Like, check out a CNN headline. There's great need. But it's a privilege to get to partner with what the Spirit is doing through faithful people to impact his community for the kingdom. This is a joy. This is a privilege. This is a blessing that we are blessed with so that we in turn may bless others. So here's what we're going to do. They asked me to preach because I normally go short. Ricardo, you guys know, he stretches it out a little bit. We're ending early today, not so that you can go home, so that you can hang out. You guys probably noticed all the tables in the front. We're going to go out there and there's a ton of opportunities for you guys to serve. Okay. So as we think through these things, let's take it from like the rhetorical to literally like, what room are you in? Well, we're in a church sanctuary. Who's there? Lots of people. Lots of people. Like all of the overflow rooms are open. We can make a huge impact. What stinks? If you're not sure, there are tons of people out front that would love to tell you what stinks and what you can do about it. They would love to tell you about how many weeks we have to turn families away because children's ministry is just full. And people that would love to come in here and hear about what God is doing and, and about his story and how they fit into it don't have the opportunity because like some of us have two-year-olds that it just would not go well for anyone. They'd love to share with you about how there are, uh, are a group of people who are experiencing homelessness and every single Thursday night they're here in the back in the 800 building and we provide food for them and we eat the meal with them because one of the hardest things about being homeless aside of like you don't have a house is the isolation, the lack of community. And so we call it the with collective because we want to eat with people like food's okay, but it's better to share a meal. They love to tell you about high school ministry and about the team. Believe it or not, there are like high school students here and you can serve them. You can help to grow um, vegetables in our urban garden and, and meet with the, the mission collectives, the Red Roots Collective and help share food with people in our community. There are a ton of opportunities. So what room are we in? Who's here? There's a ton of people here. There's a huge opportunity for us to be blessed, to be a blessing for others. So keep this in mind as we move into our time of response. We'll respond in the typical four ways that we always respond. We'll respond uh, through singing. Josh and, and the band will come up and, and lead us in song. We'll respond in prayer. And there'll be people to my right and to my left that will come up and would love to pray with you, pray for you. You can also fill out any prayer request that you may have on the connect card, which is in the seat back in front of you. And those go to our core prayer team. We believe everyone should be part of the prayer team, but we have people who have decided to dedicate their time throughout the week to pray for you, to pray for your needs, 
And first thing, every Monday morning, an email goes out to all of those people and they pray faithfully and consistently. They'll be out there if you're somebody who loves to pray or who would like to become better at praying. We respond by giving. Ricardo talked about this last week and he gave you an update today. We have the opportunity to give not only our time, not only our, our, our service, but also our money as well. If this is your first time visiting or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we do not want your money. That's not why we're here. That's not what we're trying to do. But we would love your questions. We would love any thoughts or feedback that you have. Go ahead and put those on one of the connect cards and drop them off in the offering box and one of us will reach out to connect with you. Sorry, probably the new guy who has a more freed up schedule, but I like to drink coffee with people. And so I would love to be able to chat with you guys about any questions that you may have. And finally, we respond by partaking in communion. This is something that we do to remember not only the service, but the sacrifice of Jesus. See, not only did he lay down his, his outer robes to, to wash feet, he laid down his life to, buy, to provide a sacrifice, to redeem his people, because he knew that just washing feet wasn't enough. He also had to wash our souls. Will you guys pray with me? God, thank you for this example. Thank you that you have sent your spirit to give us power and courage and creativity because there are such needs in our community, in our families, in our own lives, Lord. We thank you that you come to cleanse and bring life. We thank you that you call us and empower us to move out into your community to push against the effects of the fall and to help usher in your kingdom. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to receive the blessing of service, to use that to bless others. Please use us mightily. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to love your people more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.